0: Welcome to the teaching ministry at Crothers Creek Community Church. Well, good morning, C4 Church. Oh, come on, help me out here. <laughs> good morning, C4 Church. Good, good morning. There we are. Good morning. And a good good morning also to the many of you watching or listening online, wherever you might be today. Again, we're uh, welcoming you uh, with us this morning. It was the last sermon I preached in the summer series out of Proverbs chapter 9, and about two-thirds through the message, I just mentioned that my wife was probably in labor, and all of you just looked at me oddly and sort of gasped, and I said, don't worry, let me finish preaching so I can get over there. Uh, background story to that, as some of you know, is my wife um, was found in the parking lot, uh, not down in the parking lot, she was found in the van, and she thought she was probably going to labor, and I was miked and prayed <laughs> prayer. God, can I preach this message? He said, do it. I said, okay. And two friends jumped in the minivan and went to the hospital. And uh, our son did not come uh, that night, but he did come a week earlier. And uh, we were so excited to welcome to our home, to our family, to this church, uh, Noah Caleb Thompson, which we've, uh, we're really pleased about. And, uh, you know, just, it was amazing. He came a week early. We're really glad he did, actually. And, um, uh, he's produced something that I think all parents, uh, in most cases, really believe and want joy. I mean, he really has brought joy to our lives. But there's a deeper thing I need to share with you, and some of you know this story, so you understand why Joanna and I have such joy. When I was 29 years old, uh, Joanna and I uh, had an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus promised us something. He said, You will have three children in seven years. Now, what some of you know, and many of you don't, is that we had some mild medical conditions and we couldn't have kids. And so we prayed and wondered and doubted God at points, but we would fast and pray many times, not publicly, of course, and saying, Jesus, like, you've said this and we really want kids, but we, we just don't, we don't know. Well, uh, I turned uh, 36 uh, this week, last week, and year seven begins November 1st when the Lord spoke to us. And so we have joy... Because God doesn't lie. We have joy because God said what he was going to do. And um, though it was actually somewhat impossible, uh, it happened. And as we were looking at our little son, we were actually reflecting on just the goodness and unexpected power of God. Now kids, in my opinion, are both joy givers and they also are gifts themselves. But you need to remind yourself of that time and time again. It was uh, midnight this week. I was on the early feeding run. That should tell you something. God bless my wife, who does the later ones. Noah was uh, hanging out, and I was hanging out with him, and I was exhausted. I I think if you've had kids, you know this, and if you're a grandparent, you know this, and if you're one of those amazing aunts or uncles or crazy friends that takes care of other people's kids under five months, God bless you, you know there's one thing that Joanna and I are desperate for right now. What is it? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Desperate. I mean, for all I know, this is a... I'm not naked right now, okay? I just... You know, I... We are desperate for sleep, like genuinely desperate for sleep, and we've got three kids now under four, and it's just really wild, and, and so we, we value this. Anyway, it's 11.45 at night. I'm doing the, the early late feed, and there I am with Noah, and, and then it happened. He smiled, and I was like, I am such an awesome dad. <laughs> He loves this house. He loves Joanna. He loves his sisters. Well, sisters love him too much. 911, smothering attacks all the time. You know, but it was just all, you know, I was just like, yes. And then I went, please. You are not a first time father. They are no longer glass. They are rubber. He's not smiling because he loves you. He's got gas. (laughs) This has nothing to do with you or love at all. I'm like, fine, that went away. I'm still feeding. Well, I did the feed, I finished the feed, I went upstairs, I thought I should change him uh, before I I go to bed. And so, you know, I'm still sleep deprived and I'm doing this over here and he peed on me. (laughs) Now, I got to say, I've lived in a house of women for years, two daughters, a wife, the cat is even a girl in my house. And I was just, I'm like, what are you doing? And then he looked at me and peed all over the wall. It's like that ad. Have you seen that ad? You know, okay. I, and I was, I was thoroughly disgusted. I was like, Noah, we do not as men do this in this house. Well, as he's peeing, he looks at me and vomits. Oh, I was like, oh, you're peeing on me. You're, now I have to repaint something. And oh, by the way, you vomited. Then he looks at me and he craps. I'm sorry for you who are better. Defecates. He did this all in 32 seconds. (laughs) Joy. (laughs) Gift. Now, at that moment, something else has to kick in. I don't know about you women, I just know this as a guy. Something else has to kick in, so I honor the gift that God has given me. It's called character. Because at that moment, when he decided to allow every orifice in his body to do everything wrong, I had to have something called character. And character is best defined in Scripture as what? Love, joy, peace. What's the next one? Oh, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And the last one I needed at midnight was? Self-control. Oh, no, no, say it louder. Self-control. When I was reflecting on that little moment with my son... It struck me. That is the best image we need as a church to deal with spiritual gifts. You see, he didn't stop being a gift to me at that moment. Nor actually in some ways did he not even stop producing joy. But how you manage a gift and how you continue to grow with a gift and how you honor something is based not on the joy that is giving, nor that it is a gift, he of course... But it's the character that you need to ground yourself in so it's used right. See, spiritual gifts are messy. They're unexpected. They interfere with our lives. They don't make us comfortable. God shows up and he blows away our box. And what we need as we begin to seriously explore the idea of joy this year in spiritual gifts is a deep-rooted character to back it up. And that's exactly what Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, his goal is to ground his community that he's ministering to with deep character so no matter what experiences happen and no matter what gifts are given, joy will be maintained and gifts will be done in balance. And so today we begin our second week in this spiritual gifts journey together. And this is also an amazing year where God is not just going to inform us as a family about joy, but he's actually inviting us to have joy, that great fruit of the Spirit. And again, think about it. What a gift that God of heaven and earth would look down at C4 Church and say, I'm going to give them a season of joy. Now, as I shared last week, we felt led to start this year with God's promise of joy as expressed through serving him. And we best serve God as he's gifted us to serve And again, I want to start today to remind all of us here that one of our deep values in this church is this, that we believe that every Christ follower is called to impact those around them through loving, joyful, gift-based service. This core value that we hold here is talking about spiritual gifts. Now, last week, we took the time to look at the difference between natural gifts and acquired gifts and spiritual gifts, and even the difference between all of that and spiritual disciplines and the fruit of the Spirit. But today we're going to ask God to continue to build our needed foundation. So when we deal with each gift individually, we will be able to approach each one of them with a right motive and a right understanding. Now again, if you were serving last week on Sunday, thank you for doing that. Or you weren't here, I'm asking you very strongly to go back online to iTunes or our website to listen to last week's message because each message builds like Lego one on the other but now we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 12. So if you've got a hard, a hard uh, Bible or a, a soft one, uh, turn to it now. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. Now, we're going to come back to this again and again and again in this series. They're highly instructional for us about gifts, but for Paul, they're corrective in nature. Lots was going on in a local church just like this, and it had to be dealt with. Again, we're going to see this morning that Paul shows us time and time again that the goal of a pastor—listen, please—the goal of a pastor or the leadership or the church is not up front to dismiss or stop experience in private or in public— but to find out first and foremost what its source is. Is it human? Is it demonic? Is it medical? Is it godly? And if that experience is from God himself, no matter how uncomfortable it may make us all feel, Paul wants to deal with the motives behind the gift or the experience. That's why after chapter 12, chapter 13 is on love. It's usually read at marriages. I read, one, I read it yesterday, performing a marriage here. But really, the heart of that passage is about how to use gifts right and how to build up community. The gifts must be accessing a very deep, ever-growing character in us, a deep, deep reservoir of love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The gifts of the Spirit are undergirded always by the fruit of the Spirit. You can actually have the gifts of the Spirit, but the character not to back it up, and that's what causes a problem. And so now today, we as a church come to one of the most explicit outlines or criteria of what a genuine work of God will look like and even feel like. So buckle up, because here we go. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 reads like this. Now about gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed, this is the biblical foundation, our, our goal to have a common script where we have a common understanding of the gifts, that we start using them and growing in our gifts, and that we experience the joy that comes from honoring God and serving others and knowing our part of our purpose in this life ordained by God. Now listen to this, please. Many of us say, oh God, oh God, what is your will for my life? And we're looking to go, what college do we go to? What, who do I marry? What do I eat? listen. If you know your gifts, you already know what God's will is in your life. Just use them wherever you are. Now notice, this is also addressed to the whole church. God gives all of his gifts, interestingly, to both men and women. Gender has nothing to do with God's work when it comes to the gifts. Now when it comes to offices in the church, it's a different, more complex conversation. But when it comes to gifts, the gifts are distributed to men and women, nothing else. Paul continues, you know that when you were pagans, verse 2, somehow or another, (coughs) you were influenced and led astray by mute idols, or two mute idols. The designation pagan actually just used to mean non-Jewish. Later, it became a term used to say, before you were a Christian, you were a pagan. In this church, almost all of the members actually came from different religious groups, and they were actually in pagan religious systems. And Paul says very directly, without plushing at all, you were led astray. Now, this is the word in Greek used for prisoners and the condemned, as they're actually taken to prison, or they actually are condemned to death. I mean, what a powerful and important idea. When we worship anyone else or anything else, God, money, any other, I mean, a small g God or any other money or anything else, we get in bondage and we get condemned. That is why as Christians, if you are one, we cherish being led by Jesus, to being a slave to him like we talked about last week, for he alone allows us to live the life we're called to be. There is no bondage or death with our Master. Yet for pre-Jesus, pre-Jesus in this church, this community was in bondage to idols, the idols that they actually used to worship. Now we all know today that idols are mute. They're made up of things that just don't have life. Uh, Wood, stone, jewels, money, education, reputation, you fill in the blank. But never forget, that's not the whole story. Paul knew and has already taught that this church had a different experience See, behind the idols themselves and even the systems of worship, there were not just metaphorically, there actually were literally fallen angels, demons that love to promote and glory in false worship. That's why he said in 1 Corinthians 10, 19, these words, do I mean that food sacrificed to idol is, an any- is anything or an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are actually offered to demons, Not to God, and I do not want you to be participants with demons. Interesting, written to Christians at this moment. John, what's the point? Here it is. When they were in their old worship services, lots of supernatural activity was actually taking place around them. And now they were Christians, they were seeing the similar, if not the same supernatural activity happening in their church service. So Paul, dealing with the spiritual gifts, needs to teach right up front to this church, and also to C4 Church, that we need to learn to discern the difference between what spirit is at work. Now, and this is really big for us today, most of the time, the manifestations of the supernatural will look almost, if not exactly the same, if they're from God or the devil. Not all the time, but most of the time. The question is not about what it looks like, but really, what is the source it's coming from? Think about a plug in a wall socket. The question for Paul is not up front. Is the experience uh, bad or good in the sense, should it happen or not? His question always is, what is the source of what's going on? Elders and pastors and we as a community, we are never in the place up front to dismiss experience, but to discern where it's coming from. God, person, medical, uh, demonic. That is why Paul says in verse 3, Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking of the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're a note-taker this morning, on the bulletin, iPad, BlackBerry, iPhone, get them out. This is a significant moment of understanding. And if you're not a note-taker, do it anyway. Okay, this is key. I need to speak to you this morning as my friends, as my family, about the phrases, Jesus is Lord... In Jesus, I hate saying this, be cursed. There are three things we learn right up front as we get into spiritual gifts. Number one, Paul again wants to help these church people understand that both evil and godly supernatural experience will look much like the same. They will look very similar. And the fruit and what's said matters. One wrote it this way. In keeping with Jewish heritage, Paul scorns the idols as mute. I mean, they can't hear prayer or answer prayer, nor can they even speak. In contrast, he writes, of course, to the Spirit of God who can. But he's also argued earlier that mute idols actually do represent demons who can and they do speak through their devotees. Most likely, therefore, he is reminding them of what they well know, that in their cult services, inspired utterances were part of the worship despite the mute idols. If so, Paul's concern is to establish early on that it is not inspired speech that gives evidence that God's at work in the house. They already knew that phenomena even as pagans. Rather, what counts in the end is what is intelligible and the Christian content of any of those utterances. So you, or many of you, have it in your mind that something really evil is, ah, right? And something God is like, oh. It's not like that. When God shows up, God shows up, and everything that we like in our little box goes away. And so what we need to understand as we deal with the gifts is that we must not say no to experience. We need to say why, what, who, where, and when. Amen. (laughs) Second of all is this. The children just cheered and agreed with me. That's all I'm saying. All right. Second is this. Paul is saying that salvation is 100% from God and not from us. One wrote this, It is only by the Holy Spirit that anyone can hail Christ as Lord. Obviously, a mocking unbeliever can mouth the words, Jesus is Lord. Paul's not denying this. He is saying that words can be uttered, though, with full meaning only under the influence of the Spirit. The Lordship of Jesus is not, I love this, the Lordship of Jesus is not a human discovery. It is a discovery that is made and can only be made when God calls you and the Spirit's at work. Again, salvation, really knowing Jesus, is a God act. It's his gift to us. And if salvation is a 100% God act and his mercy is given, then humility is the only place we can go. And that's exactly what Paul needed to address in this church because humility was missing. Third, Jesus as Lord becomes our earliest Christian confession. And it stood up against three things. When Christians said originally Jesus is Lord, they were saying that every other worldview and religion was wrong, period. Second of all, they were saying this, that the emperor was not God, he was not the prince of peace, and he didn't have true power. And third of all, they were saying to their many friends, themselves, being Jews, to the Jewish community, Yahweh is not the only one who gets the title Lord anymore, because Jesus is God in flesh. Now you think about that little phrase, Jesus is Lord. That's how you offend everyone automatically all the faiths in the world, wrong. The faith you claim that's secure and beautiful in the Jewish faith, oh no, no, it's fulfilled in Jesus. By the way, the whole political system of the day, you think you're in control. No, no, Jesus is Lord. That is why it was written in Romans ten nine these words, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus of Nazareth, the crucified one, by his resurrection and ascension, is the Lord of the universe. There is no other God, no other way for forgiveness, no path to heaven other than him. That's why Christians cry out in every denomination around the world, Jesus is Lord. Now from there, at that moment, what that's established, Paul moves from their past to their present, to our future, and begins to talk now about the gifts. Here's what he says in verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit who distributes them. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives gifts to His church. And notice, again and again, God's going to remind us today, He chooses. We do not have a say in this at all. Again, like salvation, the giving of spiritual gifts is a 100% God act and should also lead us to a deep place of humility. How could we ever, ever, ever use our gifts as a matter of pride or use them against other Christians? The right gift could be there, but the wrong attitude could be lurking. And notice, when God is at work, there is diversity in gifts. The more God is welcomed into a local church like our own, the more diversity will begin to show up. Verse 5, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working. But in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Gifts, service, workings. Three words that mean the exact same thing. The manifestation of the Spirit. And notice that God is now being expressed in His fullness. I love this. You have the Spirit, you have the Lord who is Jesus, and you have God the Father. The works of God are grounded in the Trinitarian relationship. And it is no mistake, by the way, that Jesus is planted in these verses right between the Spirit of God and God the Father. Even when it comes to gifts, Jesus continually reveals the Father and is revealed to us by the Spirit and acts like mediator. Interesting, too, you notice that the word connected with Jesus is service? I mean, if there's one thing we learn by our Lord's life, it's this. He shows us this thing that really irks a lot of us, but it's the most blessed thing in Scripture. He shows us that in humility and in weakness, there is heavenly power. Servanthood. We're warned and encouraged by this, right? We are warned here that the gifts of the Spirit never can become part of our identity Our pride, our PR, or our status, but the reverse is also true. Isn't it a relief this morning that we don't need to bribe God or spend our lives trying to be something God just doesn't want us to be? Amen is good at this moment. Great relief. Every world religion on earth says, do this and do that, and he may like you, or he may give this to you. Our movement says, no, no, you were dead, he called you, and side note, he's going to equip you anyways, because he just likes you. Off you go. A grand reversal. He writes in verse 7, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. I mean, verse 7 is the best summary for our whole series. Christians get at least one gift, and the gifts are given to do one thing to build up the common good. They're not given for rivalry or jealousy. They are, given, they are given to be used. They are given not to hide them. We can't be suppressing our gifts by fear or theology. No, no, we have to use them. It says, to one there is given, given through the Spirit, verse 8, a message of Wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, we're not going to go through each one of these today. That's the whole series. But I think if you look at this list, and we're just honest, my suspicion is that our master and our friend is going to push many of us in this church way beyond our comfort zone in the next eight weeks. What do you think? Oh, amen. Okay, good. It's good. Because when you look at this, we're talking about this for real, not just on a page. Now today, we're going to get into the heart, though, of what needs to be be behind the gifts. Verse 11 says, All these are the same works of the one and same Spirit. And he distributes them just as he determines. Again, we're moved to see that God is at work. It's his will. And this serves, of course, as that needed caution also for some other people in our community that demand that other people be like them or should have their gifts or their passions. Our unity comes from divine unity. But also, of course, we have diversity. Interesting, I learned this week the word distributes there is an ongoing word, which means he will continue to distribute. The idea is when you became a Christian, whenever that happened, if you have done that, the Spirit of God came into you, and he also gifted you, and he will continue to gift you in that area. Can he sovereignly take something away? Of course. Could he give you something for a moment? Yes. But the pattern in Scripture is he gives you gifts for life. Now, from the gifts and the source of gifts, this is one we all need to now huddle in. Now we get Paul's best summary of what the church is supposed to be like. And notice that the summary below is not expressed in a democracy, nor a dictatorship, nor some form of lesser spiritual anarchy. It's seen as a body made up of different people in mutual submission, depending on who has what gift. The image is not dependence or independence, it's interdependence. Just as a body, though one has many parts, and all its parts are many, form one body, so it is with Christ. Though we're all different people here, sitting here or watching online this morning and even have different gifts, this does not affect our fundamental unity. And why? Because actually Jesus is the head of this church, not me, not the elders. Jesus is. And this shows us that to be with Jesus, you actually have to be with others. Uh, church, Christianity is a communal thing, not a Lone Ranger thing. And then he says these words. For we have all been baptized by one spirit, as to form one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, and we're given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body's not made up of one part, but many. Now this verse... This verse was like an earthquake in its time, breaking the very foundations of both Roman and the Jewish worldview of the day. And if you take this seriously, it violates everything we've been taught as a culture too. Every single ethnic and socioeconomic bracket of the ancient world is swept away in a few verses. See the power of this. All your past religious experience, your gender, economic, racial barriers, all the things that governments and education and war and writing and counseling has never been truly able to root out of the human heart. The Spirit of God does it right when he moves in. When we join Jesus, there is a level foot at the cross, no matter who you are. All human distinctions in our movement are broken. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit of God gives birth to what? The Spirit. And think about it, the Holy Spirit right now, if you're a Christian, is living in you, is the only thing that distinguishes you from someone who's not a Christian. He marks the beginning of our walk, he makes us a child of God, he binds us together, he convicts us, he empowers us both to live like Jesus and to function like Jesus communally. But I need to camp here just for one more moment, is this important? Is this verse telling us that there are two different works of the Spirit in the Christian life? Is this saying that you you get converted and then you get baptized later? It is not. Maybe you grew up in a church that taught that. I love them. They're wrong. And here's the thing. When you become a Christian, you receive the Spirit of Christ. He comes into you, and you get baptized with the Spirit. That's what conversion is. We can be filled time and time and time again over a life, and maybe that's what you called the baptism of the Spirit. It can take many forms, but meeting Jesus and getting the Holy Spirit is the same thing. I love that Paul also uses the image of drinking the Spirit or being watered by the Spirit. The idea comes from irrigation. You can translate this verse, we have all been saturated by one Spirit. And the language is used because it brings both baptisms well together. Water baptism represents spirit baptism. Spirit baptism first, then water baptism. It's like the wedding ring that I was talking about. Water baptism publicly says, thanks everyone. Thanks for the invite. I'm already taken. He's already in me. Water baptism represents spirit baptism. Spirit baptism happens when you say, Jesus, come. Now then Paul says this. Now we have all equal footing, supposedly. Then he says, now, if the foot should say, because I'm a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not be for that reason, stop being part of the body. Or if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason, stop being part of the body. Now notice something here. I caught it this week. It's starting from the bottom and working up lower to higher. Some of the humbler members in this local church who did not have spectacular gifts, they did not have a lot of money, some of them were slaves, they did not have great position, thought they might be disqualified for being a useful Christian or a powerful Christian, or they even wondered if they were Christians. Paul says, absolutely not. Verse 17, if the whole body was an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them just as he wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. God's care, listen to this please, God's care is not just extended or given to those that have more prominent or spectacular gifts or life, but God simply ordains all of us. And notice again, God wills it this way. Unity and diversity founded on God's choosing is the heart of every local church. But this gets to the problem facing this local church. Some thought because of their money or because of their gifts, they were better than others. It's a sin that I personally have committed so many times as a pastor and as a Christian. Pride, vanity, self-sufficiency. I mean, if you want to really know what's wrong with this church, just read chapter 11, where they weren't even sharing the meal at communion with each other. Arrogance and non-unity. See, Paul knows this has to be addressed. That's why he now reverses the image, and he speaks to those that actually have the so-called greater experiences. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, see top now to bottom, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker, here's something, are indispensable. And the parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unrepresentable are treated with special modesty. Well, our presentable parts need no special treatment. I love that. In other words, you got all your glory, move on. But God has put the body together, giving great honor to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. Now notice, the so-called lesser people in that church are not just a good addition or a welcome thing. No, no. They are, according to heaven itself, indispensable. The point is this. Those that have less flashy gifts or live a less privileged lives are still given by God, loved by God, and he knows how valuable they are and he is saying to the church, you need to too. The body cannot work without them. Heaven would cry out to us at this moment. Appearances, see for Church, they always deceive. All I have brought are necessary, for I am the Lord, and I will build up my church. And for the many of you sitting here or watching or listening have felt lesser in your Christian life around other Christians, God comes to you at this moment and says, You are mine. You are not less. You are right where I want you to be. Do not live in the shadows of others. Do not be given to jealousy or anger. Do not allow the looks of others to form your identity. I have formed you. I have loved you. I am pleased with your service. My voice matters. You are indispensable. That is what the Lord would say to many of you today. He also would say, you who have stronger expressions of the gifts, you also who have more money, do not be prideful. Do not look down. Do not think that you are more important or better. God would say to us, I give and I take away. I rise up and I bring down. Look to me, God would say, and hear if I am pleased with how you're doing with what I've given you. With greater gifts comes greater wealth, and greater wealth comes greater responsibility. And the question is, and God would ask us very directly, what are you doing to support those that are indispensable to me? i build my church, and God would say to all of us, no matter who you are, toenail hair follicle, mouth, eye, hand, etc. God says to all of us, show equal concern for each other. Do you know why? Because all of us can sin against each other. If one part suffers, he says in verse, verse 26, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, everyone rejoices with it. I mean, that's so true. You ever had a bad toothache before? I mean, a real bad one. Raise your hand. Okay, You don't just go, oh, I mean, you say this, but you don't mean this. Oh, my tooth is hurting. You don't mean, literally, only my tooth is hurting. You are hurting. You ever tried studying with a toothache or eating? Right? Your whole body is affected. Well, it's the same thing when you have a great meal, right? You don't go, oh, how my mouth and stomach so enjoyed that experience. You go, oh, that was awesome. You cannot divide Us. From us. And that is why Paul says, when we honor each other, all are honored. When one suffers, we all suffer. What you do in your private life affects me. And what I do when you're not looking affects you. Now, you are the body of Christ. Verse 27. Each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, then prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, of guidance, and different kinds of tongues. Now, you read that like I did, and I went, what? You just told me that there was an equal playing field and all this, and now you're saying that more people are important than others. I'm confused. What Paul is saying is this is about influence, responsibility, and authority, not about importance in God's eyes. Apostles, prophets, and teachers, by the way, are not offices in the church, like elder or deacon. They're gifts. Now, I love a guy named Craig Bloomberg who helped me this week, and he said, look, when you read this verse... Read it chronologically. And what he meant by that is this. To start a Christian church, you need to start with an apostle who found something. You need prophets to give divine utterance so you know God is with you. And then very quickly, you need teachers to show up to make sure no one goes into Blah land theologically. View this chronologically, and you will understand how every great movement that's ever been launched since Jesus has been started. View this chronologically. Now, we'll get into this later. But the point is, Paul is saying, this is how things are done. He ends here. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet, I will show you a most excellent way. And I read that and I went, "Uh, eagerly desire the greater. I just was told you gave them. What do I do with that? This is what Paul is getting to. Maybe you came from a church where they made this their mantra you know, desire the greater gifts and put all this pressure on you. Oh, not spiritual enough. Keep desiring. Right? No. And maybe you came from a church that said, don't desire anything. I don't know. I don't think it's around anymore. (laughs) Coffee? (laughs) What Paul is saying is we should come with expectation before a living God that he is living and active and he wants to do things in our church and we should have an expectation and we should say, Lord, I do want to do the greater things, but the caveat through the whole passage is, but I'm willing you to do what you want. I will be satisfied what you give me. Do not demand of the living God. Seek and then be silent. That is why Paul said in chapter 13, I will show you a more excellent way. And he spends the whole chapter dealing with one thing, character. Because he understands that we could even have the gifts of the Spirit. God could be honest doing great things. But if our character doesn't add up to our gifts, it will be dismissed. I will show you a most excellent way. Now, The question as we end this is is here. What did we just learn, and what do we do? So I'm going to lead us in a, a prayer response. This is going to happen a lot in this series, just so you know. And I'm going to outline right now what I think we need to, as a church, actually deal with. So I'm going to pray for a moment here. I want you to get ready, and then we'll do this. Jesus, I just ask now that the will of the Father would be expressed in this place, and also online, no matter where any person would be. I ask, Holy Spirit, you come and you deal with us as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'm going to read through this. Do you think right now because of your gifts, age, race, gender, education, you can look up, we're not praying yet, or by your experience that you're better than anyone else in this church? Do you think that you're better than maybe someone at another church or another Christian? This is a motive question, by the way. And if it's you... At that moment, you violate grace, mercy, and sovereignty in one fell swoop. The real move of God in the life of an individual in a church is actually when our real motives get brought up to be dealt with. And the truth is, we are so sinful as people, half the time we don't even know what we think about people or ourselves. So here's the question as we get ready to pray. Would you be willing for God to really tell you what you think about people? And then would you be willing to let him set you free so you could be a person of joy and actually you could become a place of joy for others? Question one, do you think you're better than other people in our community? Question two, are you a person that thinks that you're less? Are you a person that's full of anger, jealousy, envy, or resentment towards God himself or those in the church that have stronger versions of the gift you have or one that you want and you don't have? Are you involved in almost some form of self-hatred because you want to be something God has not created you to be and so you have no joy? God comes to you and says, repent. I need to give you joy. Maybe on the other hand, you're the person that has allowed people to form you. You've listened to those who thought they were better than you and they've spoken down to you and you've let them form your identity and you no longer think as a Christian you are indispensable. God comes and says, repent. I want to give you joy. Here's another thing. Have you put God in a box because of your fear? Have you built a theology that says God cannot do that or I don't want to be in a church where all that stuff happens? Repent. Never say to the living God of heaven and earth, don't you dare. It's a terrible second prize. Joy is the first prize. I think all of us could pray, and we will, that I want to know my spiritual gifts, I'm eager, and I'll do what you want with them. But lastly, most important, as I lead us, would you be willing to ask God to give you the character you need so the gifts are made right? I mean, that's the greatest question. And so here's here's how we're going to do this. The band's not going to come up yet. And again, for you who are watching or listening online, you actually may be in a house church right now, in a church. You actually may be on the subway, at a cottage, in a college room. This goes for you too. So, do you think you're better than people because of who you are, age, race, gender, your spiritual gifts? Then I'd like you to publicly stand and say, that's me, so we can pray. And by the way, just so we're starting this, I know I'm preaching. I am standing already. I'm telling you right now that I'm already standing in this one. It's something that God has broken me for two weeks over. Oh, the arrogance in my life. The arrogance in my life. It's disgusting. So, if that's you, stand because we need to pray. Right now, if that's you, if the Lord spoke to you, stand. Don't stand if it's not you. Okay. Thank you for your courage. We as family pray this for our brothers and sisters standing here and standing online that you'd forgive us for what we've done against those who we thought were lesser than us, and you called them indispensable. What a terrible sin. Forgive us for trusting in spiritual gifts or, or our age or our education or whatever we did. And so our simple prayer, and maybe if you're standing, you put your hands out as a sign of submission, is that you would simply make us people who are humble. And that doesn't come naturally, so you gotta do something in our life. So we ask in Jesus' name that you forgive us, and we pray for a humility in our lives and a meekness that we just can't invent. Help us to have a great love for those you've brought around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Are you a person that considers yourself lesser and um, you hate God or others because you feel that way? I'm talking about you who are angry at God because he didn't give you what you thought you deserved. And you have no joy in your life because you want something God never wanted you to do. It could be a position in the church. It could be a gift. It could be an office. If that's you, stand. Stand. And let's pray for you. Is there anyone at all? Okay, thank you. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for these people. Just set them free. I pray for a joy and a satisfaction that is unnatural where they really actually know that you've made them the way they're supposed to be. And I just pray that what's been stolen would be actually given back to them. And I pray there'd be joy that they've never had in years or ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Is there anyone here who needs to stand who you've allowed other Christians to form you and you've believed what they have said over you and not what God has said over you? And be careful with this because motives are a tricky thing. And some of you think I'm supposed to be greater and you're not. That's what we're talking about. But you've let Christians and leaders say things over you that you've allowed to form your identity and you've been demeaned. God comes to you and says at this moment, you're indispensable. If that's you, stand up because we need to pray for you for your healing. Anyone at all? Thanks. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, right now at this moment, we pray this. We pray for these people that feel lesser, but they are indispensable parts of our community and that they have allowed lies to take hold in their life. And our simple prayer is in Jesus' name, that Holy Spirit, by your word and your presence, you would reverse lives and bring life. Let them know what you actually think about them, because your voice is the only one that lasts. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's another one. Are you the person that put God in a box? Are you desperately afraid that God's gonna show up and you won't be able to handle it? Are you clinging to a theology that says God cannot do that or I will not allow him to do that or I don't want to be a part of a church where that stuff happens? God comes to you and says, repent. Repent. I am God. You are not. Is that you? Please stand. And we'll pray for you. God, we pray again out of no anger or no malice. We've all been here before. I pray for my brothers and sisters standing here and online and I ask God that you would give them right fear and I pray that you'd lead them in your holy scriptures and by your Holy Spirit and that truly they would say to you, I'm a slave and you can do what you want, when you want, how you want. Help me just to be faithful. I pray God that if there is wrong teaching, it would be reversed. I pray if there is heresy, it would be broken. But I do really pray, God, that you'd also remind them that though you are holy and all-consuming, you are also a friend in love. And all of us welcome you in this church in Jesus' name. All of us say you can do what you want in our church. Lord, heal these people, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last two prayers, and, and uh, Nikki and Sarah can come up now. And, but please stay in this moment. It's important. I think all of us could ask God for um, his gifts. And so, if you're in that position where you just want to say, Lord, I will seek whatever you ask, um, why don't you do that now uh, with me and you again online. Jesus of Nazareth, we know that your spirit is in us. We know that God the Father has called us, and you tell us to eagerly desire, and so we do. We come to you as Crothers Creek Community Church, as C4 Church, and we say to you, we are open. Give us the gifts that we need to have for this community. We're open. We eagerly desire, but also give us... (laughs) Help us to be okay with who we are. And lastly, if you pray that prayer, pray this with me about the great thing, character. The word of God says to us, church, that love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud. It doesn't dishonor other people. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. It keeps, here's one, no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil. It rejoices with God's truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And so our prayer this morning as a community is this. Oh God, give us that. Give us that so when you give us the gifts and you build this church, we will be a loving church and nothing else. Seal what you've done and what you're going to do in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. Why don't you stand, and um, we're going to end the service with communion, and uh, so just stand if you can. I think we're ready now to take communion. It's going to be passed today, and you just take it when you're ready. And again, communion is available to anyone who knows Jesus as Savior and Lord. It's only to those who have not embraced Him yet. Please don't take it. You don't know Him, and to some of us that are on the run, He says, don't take it because you are resisting me. But for all of us, right now. Just seek the Lord while he meets us at this communion time and ask him to do whatever he wants. Uh, May God bless all of you today uh, and may you seek him as he does a new work among us. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you want to know more about our church or give financially, go to our website at www.carotherscreek.ca.